For those of you that are joining us for the first time, we are on the third installment of our series into community. And um, we are then going to be taking the next three weeks to talk about our journey into service and what does it mean to serve, to take a journey into service. We have been uh, really tearing apart some things uh, in the scriptures, and today we're going to go to possibly my favorite uh, piece of scripture with you this morning. And it's really, I really feel, you just need to know this morning, I, it's probably really good, but I feel very inadequate this morning. And that's probably exactly where the Lord wants me to be, uh, because He's the only one that really changes lives, right? And it's not me. I, I'm too much of a sinner, right? I struggle. I am just a man. So we count on our sovereign God to change our lives. And we actually, and I'm going to hit on this in a minute, We did you know that it's it's up to the Lord to even create community. The Lord's the the Lord who creates community. We we can't conjure community. The best we do is Friday night at the bar, you know, playing pool or whatever you do. All right. But the Lord, when he when you look at what He's doing, it's a very different different thing than maybe how we would, you know, conjure or talk about community. The word fellowship in the New Testament Greek is koinonia. It is a very rich word that literally means communion. It's a participation of people together in God's grace. Okay? It describes a new community in which individuals willingly covenant to share in common, to be in submission to each other, to support one another on their journey to Christ and into the truths of Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2, we'll start reading at verse 42. This is the beginning of the New Testament church as we know it. Remember that this is just an, an extension of the Old Testament way in which God began to gather a people for himself. And so this right here isn't necessarily new. This was God's plan. He wanted to get people into his... Um, he, he saw things as... In community from the very start when he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for you to be alone and I'm going to give you a helper. He gave him Eve. And then the obviously we see the trajectory of community that took place with the children of Israel. And now here we are in a very interesting time in our history as the church, the beginning of the New Testament church. And I think what's important for us to realize as we look at this scripture, which I'm, pro- I'm sure that all of you have looked at this scripture many, many times, I think what's important is to try to get, try to feel here and try to see the different vibe that's going on here as opposed to maybe the vibe that you and I know as the church. Okay? Try to, try to see in here what's going on, even behind the scenes, what's happening here, what's really taking place. God's doing something special in community. He is gathering this group of people. Now we've got to be real careful here. Because we could think, well, this was a special time and place that, that God, that God did something real special for these people. And in actuality, I would tell you this, that a lot of the things that are going on in this community are things that need to be going on in this community. Right here. In our community, right here. Some things are going to be hard for us to hear this morning. 
We'll have to pray that the Lord gives us just an extra measure of his grace this morning as we, I know myself, some of the things I confronted this week were, were hard to look at. But look here where it says in verse 42, look what it says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone, verse 43, was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers, look at it says there, were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to make sure that I make a very clear distinction as we head into what I would call the three marks of spiritual community, and they're here on the board for you. There's many things going on here, but I want to tear apart these three marks that you really see played out very vividly in this group of New Testament believers. And I want to, I want to please make sure that you, that I talk with you this morning, that I am not up here this morning talking to you and giving you an advertisement for groups at Midtown Fellowship Church, 12 South. I am not up here this morning trying to tell you that you need to get involved in a program. Good grief. Have we not had enough of that? I'm not here to do that. I'm here this morning to talk to you actually about something far greater than that, and it's this. How do we as a people begin to understand that we are to be a culture of community? That our lives are going to be in community. The, the, the plural word in the scriptures is God's people. People's people, not individual. So we're, we're actually trying to, to, to see here what would it actually look like for us to consider some of the things that God has talked with us about that obviously are very important. And how do we begin now to say, how can we become a culture of community? Not just the fact that we come and we do the church thing, we punch the clock, click, ding, yeah, we give our money, we go, we go to our small group, you know, we talk, and, 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 you know, it's just, it's boring, isn't it? Good grief, I've had enough of it. And so the point of it is, is that if you get to the end today and go, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna go in and be, you know, I, I don't wanna have these intense relationships in small group that he's asking us, you know, to have, great, don't, then don't do it. <laughs> You know, pray, see what God's going to do with you on it. You know, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm pressuring you to do anything or we're pressuring you to do anything. What's God telling you? What's God saying in his scripture? What's he saying to us? Are we willing to turn an ear and listen to that? Or have we grown up in the church so much and heard so many messages that anything we talk about, it's kind of like, I've heard that before. Is that what it is? Well, that's, that's not what we're doing here, is it? We're looking into the scripture to see what God's wanting to say to us. We're deeply considering. We, we, we are considering it as, as the actual way of how we're going to live our lives. It's not just good ideas. Right? Let's talk about live. What does it mean to live? What is it? These, these group of people together that were 
that were together here and they they you, you get this feeling that these people decided that they were just going to they were going to live together they were going to do life together right god was doing something in these people and he is the former and the shaper of spiritual community if you're uh married here today and if you're single with your friends here today you need to know that even in those relationships god is the former and the shaper of those relationships the maybe the greatest thing that we can do for each other in relationships and in community is just go to our holy lord on our knees and pray for our wives a lot more than we do pray with our wives a lot more than we do pray with our husbands pray with our friends a lot more than we do. We're going to the source. We're saying, Lord, you're the one. We're depending on everything that you have to build you know, our marriage, our, with our friends, with, with my wife and husband, in community, everything that you have. Forming spiritual community is the Spirit's work. It is not ours. Our contribution is very limited. Most of what we do is give up control in community. Most of what we do is get out of the way and let the Spirit work. But we do life together. We count on, on the Lord to do His work. What does that look like to count on the Lord to do His work as we live together? We're on a journey toward Christ. And that journey toward Christ is intended to be more of this group expedition, right? Where we walk together as honest strugglers who believe the end point is worth any hardship. We share the life of Christ together and are called to nourish that life in one another. And yet there's many of us here who've walked in this morning who have very, very strong views of how they're going to live life and especially how they're going to live life with their friends and community. There's many of us here this morning that have been so burned by past community that we've decided to shut down the power button, baby. This is no more going to happen in my life. Uh-uh. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to live within the, my, the four walls of my own home. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my thing. And nobody is going to know me. Many of us, as a result of that, even today, are standing at the crossroads. So the things that I'm even talking to you about right now, you don't. it's very difficult to hear. It's difficult to hear that there's this group of people that live together, they actually struggle together, that they, that they suffer together, that they, that they submit to one another. That's a, not a popular concept for us to talk about. I don't want to submit to anybody. <laughs> I want everybody to submit to me. Are you with me? I mean, come on, man. I was teasing my wife this last week. And this was teasing. Girls, don't take it too strong. I said, honey, what, what about inventing the, the age-old issue, you know, like back in like Henry V days? The women called their husbands Lord. <laughs> Come on, guys, don't you know of all the buttons you can press, right? To get your, everybody has their nuclear button, don't they? We're like the president. We have their little red button. I have about eight of them. If you want to know, somebody comes and presses that. I can, you know, I said, she goes, what are you talking about? And I says, well, you know, maybe you should just consider calling me Lord Joel. 
just kind of a teasing concept, you know. <laughs> and I don't even think I got a response. It was one of those deals, you know. But many of us are at the crossroads. We have a very difficult time because we are wa- raised in a Western society that, that tells us that the individual is more important than the group. Chuck Colson has a quote in one of his books that says this, it is scandalous that so many believers today have such a low view of church. And we all do. They see their Christian lives as a solitary exercise. Jesus and me. Or they treat the church as a building or a social center and they flit from congregation to congregation or they don't associate with any church at all. They go to internet church. That the church is held in such low esteem reflects not only the depths of our biblical ignorance, but the alarming extent to which we have succumbed to the obsessive individualism of modern culture. And we have. We have. Every week, millions of believers settle into their church pews to worship and they watch their pastors perform a little bit like Oprah Winfrey or the talk shows that you see on television. We sing our songs and we do our church duties and we consider what the Bible has to say to our lives. Now, this is a comforting view. This is comforting to view our decaying world from the distant and safety of our sanctuaries while we strive to strengthen our own personal relationship with Jesus. Did you hear that when you were young? Who came up with that? Where in the world did that thing come from? Your personal relationship with Jesus. I don't think we need to get into the history of that. It would be an interesting topic. Because I think it's done great damage to us as a church. Huh? It'd be a button. Yeah, thanks, Josh. It'd be one of mine. It's limited us in our understanding of what it means to really be in community. After all, my walk with Christ is mine. You don't talk about, you know, there's certain things that are non, you just don't go past a certain way. Certain. You don't talk about, and, and, and I'll tell you one of the biggest things that we, we wouldn't, we don't even consider as a society, how would I ever talk to you about your money and how it relates to the gospel? <laughs> you kidding me? You'd drop kick me out of your house. Because <laughs> money is private. My wife and I in our marriage, by the way, that's private. Right? I can list for you on and on what's private. And that's as a result of our understanding that our lives are our own. We are individuals. We have, we have, we have listened to the gospel of modern culture and we have become disciples. And I am the chief. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. So what do we do? Well, as you look in the scriptures here, You're catching a different feel, and you're seeing that these people prayed together. They ate together, and that's fun, isn't it? I love eating. 
I love cooking and eating. I just confess to you how much I love cooking and eating. My table last night, there was two people that sat at my table last night for dinner. And um, I was struck as we were, in fact, the, um, it, was, it, was, it was Randy and Renee. And they're in, our, they're in Shelly and I's community. And she called me up and she says, what can we bring? And I said, well, of course, you're going to bring wine, right? I've told you my, I love wine. Anyway, that's another subject. Bring wine. She says, she says, she said this to me. I loved this. It made my whole night. She said, don't cook until we get there so we can cook together. That right there, my friend, is a lost art. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's the, that's the more of the pickup that I feel here that's going on in New Testament than I feel than how we kind of do things. After all, we don't even want people to come over our house anymore because it's so dirty. Right? That's what we think. I can't, don't invite them over. The house is a mess. Have you ever walked into somebody's house and you walk in there and go, just a minute, and they're cleaning up in front of you? Right? Because we're so afraid that everybody's gonna make this great judgment on our house being dirty. We've kind of lost the spontaneity of community, of eating together and praying together. We've kind of lost the spontaneity of playing together, practically helping each other. Lucas, thank you for calling me yesterday. Lucas called me up in the morning. I was studying for my sermon. He said, Joel, I need a table saw. Can I come by and get it? Love it. Love, love, love it. What's happened to that? I want to talk to you in, in a minute about what's, what's happened to the fact. What, what is our stuff? Our stuff's pretty important to us, isn't it? What would it look like? Because it says that these people got together and they actually shared together. They actually supported each other in the, I would imagine, the mountains and the valleys. One of the really, one of the disturbing things about church statistics is some of them are really right on true. There's a lot of them I like to throw into the garbage. But one of the things that they say is that there's a we have a lost generation, and many they're speaking to about your generation. That your younger generation is saying that you're not coming back to church in general, and you won't come back to church until you uh, at some point face some kind of great crisis in your life. So out of out of uh, high school, you'll go to college. You'll we'll all do the college thing. That's a whole other sermon. And then we'll, you'll, you'll get married and, uh, something will take, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you know, sliding above, above the stream. Then something will happen. Some great pain will take place in your life. And it's one of the few things that they say you will make you turn around and finally come back and maybe say, maybe the church is where we need to be. Maybe it, it, we need to be in community. That's interesting, isn't it? I think there's, there's a lot of truth in it. We support each other, we cry together, we play together, we eat together. There's this feeling of togetherness that we're actually living and doing life together. And I love this. But we especially laugh together. Dallas Willard has a quote and he says this. It's beautiful. He says, we are finite human beings trailing clouds of over-aspiration and ragged incompleteness. When our spirituality disconnects from the natural context and relationships that are always there, nevertheless, one of the chief signs of what is happening is that we lose our ability to laugh. And it's true. 
We need people that are just real enough where we can laugh. We can do these things with. So that's the piece. That's a that's the first piece that I wanted to share with you today. What would it look like for you, wherever you're thinking, as far as where you're at right now, what would it look like for you to gather a group of people around that say, I want to do life with these people. I'm going to let them in. I'm going to let them pass the gated community. What would it what would it look like, Jesus, for you to take us on that journey? Remember, remember now, I am not asking you to do anything easy when I'm saying that to you. I am also not describing to you an unbelievable utopian existence that the church is really famous for. I think a lot of times you can take this, you could take this scripture and go, well, look at these people in Acts. They're like, they're like spiritual ninjas. They're just, you know, just unbelievable. You know, meet together, you know, just fly. Everything's just unbelievable what's going on. They're just great. They're like angels oh, going on all the time. Well, what they, what you don't realize is that it, the, the picture gets, the trajectory here, it gets real messy after this. All you have to do is read 1 Corinthians. All you have to do is go back to the children of Israel that were all excited to go out of Egypt. Man, you believe it. it's unbelievable fire in the sky. This is awesome. You know, a couple weeks later, what are we eating, man? Right? That's how we are. We're, we're broken people. So what's it going to take? It's going to take people that are just willing to enter the beautiful mess of it all. And that's what it is. It's beautiful because God's in it. It's messy because we're in it. <laughs> and it'll always be that way. But what does it mean to love one another? I was thinking a lot about this this week. Do you know, do you want to know what loving people act like? Good. Thank you. So do I. I think we all want to know because there's such a, a, a great chasm between what we learn and how we gather together for years and years and years, and yet we don't seem to really change in how we love each other. When you look at the scriptures, Christ is asking us to relate to one another in a totally different way than we do. Maybe the church, the church really means is how can we relate to people in our lives very differently? See, that's what the gospel has done for us. It has freed us to live life differently. Do you know what Romans 8, 1 says? It says this. You've heard it before, and it says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That's the gospel. If that's the truth, why do we live in such a condemning culture even in the church? When we enter the life of this discipleship with Jesus, we stand actually in a new reality where condemnation is simply irrelevant. It's not to be a part of our lives any longer. So if Jesus condemns me no longer, why do I continue to condemn myself? And why do we continue to condemn each other? Condemnation, I looked this up. This is interesting. It says the expression of strong disapproval and the pronouncement of wrongdoing, the pronouncement also of a verdict. And isn't that what we want to do with each other? And it's one of the reasons why we struggle so greatly in community 
is because we become a condemning community versus a loving community. Does it work to condemn? Hmm. It feels good, doesn't it? It's like a drug. It feels good. Well, let me just tell you something. Many of this in this, many of us in this room, including myself, we've had enough of that because all we seem, all that condemnation does for us is pushes us into a life of shame. And many are here today even that would say, I mean, I've been through a lot of problems in my life and I'm not going to tell anybody of my, anybody about those things because they've condemned me. They've disapproved of me. They found out that I slept with 17 girls when I was at whatever college or they found out this. Let's keep going down the road and the 16th one was just too much or the whatever. I mean, we can, we can create the condemning circles that really look ugly, don't we? There's no life giving power in condemnation. When it says there's no condemnation in Jesus, it's done. You don't have to condemn each other. Husband and wife. It's one of the greatest ways you can begin to destroy your marriage if you want to condemn. How does Jesus deal with people when he wants to talk about their behavior and their relationships? He asks them. He goes to people and he says, what do you want? Look at the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. Maybe that's more of the kind of conversations we need to have in our marriages and with our friends. No condemnation. You see, in shame, we are self-condemned. And this is a lot of us here in this room. In shame, we are self-condemned for being the person we are. It touches our identity and causes massive self-rejection. We feel ourselves to be a failure just for being the person we are. We wish we were someone else. We feel trapped and we think our life is hopeless. And I go on to tell you something. It's hard for me. It's difficult. Because a lot of us, as I'm talking with a lot of you, we all feel this, and I do too. Let me make sure you understand Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You do not have to live a life of shame, daughter of the King. Young man, you do not have to live a life of shame and guilt, son of of the living God. You have an identity. You've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. The condemning issue is an important thing for us to talk about because Crabb, who's a guy I really agree with, Larry Crabb on community, says this. Maybe you'll disagree. He says, I say all of this to let you know that the central task of community is to create a place that is safe enough for the walls of shame and condemnation to be torn down. Safe enough for each of us to own and reveal our brokenness. And it is. I agree with it. It is a central mission of why we would, why would even begin to talk about the culture of community here. So that we could actually create by only the Lord's power a safe place for people to not live in shame and condemnation any longer. There is no condemnation. There is none. 
Thank you, God. That's the gospel. A, a safe community enough that I ha- that it's safe enough where I can look and I can say, I really love you, right? I need you. Talked with you about that. Some of you uh, weren't able to spend our first three or four months as we began our little church here, 12 South. Talked a lot about what it would actually look like for us to become a, a community of words where we actually start using the words that Christ has empowered, put us in our hearts to use. Those words are like, I just gave you. I need you. I love you. Right? I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm pissed. I'm doubting. It goes on and on. Do you have a safe enough place? Safe enough to share. Let me give, uh, just say something that kind of goes along with what I was just sharing. Uh, when we um, started, it used to be called Mercy Hill. Now we're Midtown 12 South, right? When we started Mercy Hill, we actually did an experiment. It was kind of cool. We looked at the scripture and says, what would it actually look like for us to start to think about sharing our stuff with each other? What would it look like for us to, in modern day, live out an ancient truth? Like these people, they said they came together, they shared everything. Everything was in common. And if somebody didn't have a need, they sold whatever they had to help somebody else. Now, when we hear that, we go, what, what, you know, what are you asking us to do, Joel? Burn up the mortgage and sell the house and everybody move into a commune. No. But here's what I'd like to ask you to do. What is it that you have in your life that you would like to make a common possession for the community? What is it? Here's what, here's what the second challenge is. For those of you that have been with us since day one, here's your challenge. What would you like to make as a common possession, but it's really going to hurt you to make it a common possession? It's easy for me, by the way, now, if I want to make my common possession my Xbox. Why is it easy? Because I've had it for a year, and I've played Call of Duty like a billion times. I mastered it. Not really. Not good at it at all. I'm not nearly as good as Matt George. But what's more difficult for me to give would possibly be the, oh, extra $25 that I got this last week from wherever. (laughs) Right? That's tough, right? Or my time. So there's the challenge. Think about it. It's on the front page of the website. It's, the, it's called the K Garage, which stands for, K stands for Koinonia. If you'd like to make something a common possession for the community, something that'll maybe stretch you a little bit, go ahead and go to the website and put it on there. It was really a cool thing that, that ha- when that happened last year. There was such cool synergy that took place between us as we began to share things, talk about things, and, you know, whatever. But think about it. What is it that you could put on there and make as a common possession? Let's finish this. What about learn? This New Testament community obviously was marked by the fact, this culture of community, where they came together and they lived together and they loved together and love 
you want to talk about a lifetime journey. That's it, to learn how to love each other. But they learn together. And I'll wrap it up by saying this. I can't spend a lot of time on this, but here's what it is. In the Acts Church, there's this overwhelming devotion to the truth. As you see these people that are committed to the apostles' teaching, they're committed to the Word of God when it says the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is the Word from the Lord. They're committed to prayer. And in prayer, do you know what we're doing in prayer, by the way? What we're doing in prayer, there's so much that's going on in prayer. But one of the things that we're doing in prayer is that we are ultimately seeking the truth. These people were growing as we talk about learn. They're growing. They're learning about Christ. Now, let me say something to you. They're actually, as a result of this interactive relationship with Jesus, being changed. That's the idea. That as I come and fall more in love with Jesus, I find out as a disciple apprentice who he is and what he's about. He changed, I, I'm changed by that. It changes the way I treat my employees on Monday morning or my friends or my wife or my college studies or whatever the case may be. See, the scripture does talk a lot about this concept of it's not just Good enough to kind of live and love and hang out and be in a, you know, kind of this big old community. We're talking about what does it actually look like for us to be changed, to grow and to mature. Sometimes I get very concerned that I have some of the same attitudes that I have at 48 when I had when I was 28. Don't you? And sometimes the trajectory of that prayer for me is guilt. Oh Lord, yeah, there I am. I'm just a screw up. Yeah. What's my problem? Well, the beautiful thing about the Lord is he calls us back, doesn't he? To deal with even that. But what would it look like for us to be together and learn and change and grow? I'm amazed at the amount of cynicism that I find in this area as I talk with many of you. I'm amazed at the cynicism that says, how can I? I I can't change. People can't change. Are you kidding me? My marriage, my this, my whatever is hopeless. It's not hopeless. Because we have a hopeful God, right? These people were a group of disciples that were rearranging and reshaping their lives around the truth of Jesus. And that's what we need to be doing. We are rearranging like the furniture in your living room. As a result of coming to know Christ, we're rearranging the furniture in our hearts. The whole thing's different reshaping the whole thing looks different we're learning now from what christ has to say to us schaefer has a great quote that i'll use in closing francis schaefer says this the true christian is not only to teach truth but to practice truth in the midst of a world of relativism and this will bring forth confrontation loving confrontation but confrontation You usually know when you're really delving into the truth and God's doing something in the truth when you feel confronted and convicted. And that's probably one of the things we need in community too, is brothers and sisters that can, it's safe enough for us to live in that kind of conviction and confrontation. Think about it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for this community that
was is so real and yet we have a hard time getting our mind around it. Uh, the way that many of us understand some of these things is is difficult. We've had such a we've come out of a bad place and so we need every bit of your truth and your power to convict us and cause us to look anew of what you have for us. I pray for um, us as a community in this little part of our city. And I pray that um, we would uh, be the kind of community that you talk about in your scriptures, that all men that you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, I do pray that we'd come together. I know and completely recognize that there are many people sitting in this sanctuary this morning that are very lonely. I pray for them. I pray that even now you'd minister to them. I pray that um, you would even form a community around them. We pray and we want to thank you this morning for God, for the son you sent in Jesus. We thank you for the identity that we have in him and for the fact that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.